0: Well, if you would, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, page 961 on your Pew Bible, or you can follow along in the bulletin. You know, last week on Easter Sunday, we looked at the first half of 1 Corinthians 15, and there Paul corrected our understanding of the resurrection. In so many words, he said, if, if God's people are not resurrected into physical bodies in the age to come, then the Christian faith is a joke. Today, Paul addresses questions we have about those bodies that God promises his people. Have you ever wondered what your resurrection body will look like? Paul helps us in this passage to understand these new bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 35. But some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you, a mystery. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word to us. Um, We need to know what the future holds. when we understand it rightly, um, our lives are changed in the, in the now. We need to know what your plan is for our bodies to come, that we may live today faithful um, to that promise. Fill us with your spirit, empower me, strengthen me. Um, though I'm weak, may I be strong. For your glory we pray, amen. So last week I began the sermon asking a question um, If you could live forever by uploading your consciousness into a machine, would you? I don't know if you guys have been thinking about that throughout the week, but um, today I ask a different question. If you could live forever in your physical body, but a version of it that could never get old or frail or sick or diseased or even die, would you? I know there's probably a few more questions that you might have. Uh, Would other people that I actually like live on forever with me too? (laughs) Can my dog be there with me? Do I have to eat kale? Um, (laughs) Would I ever get bored? You know, I think that even when we answer those questions favorably, many of us would still be hesitant to want to live forever in a body that God has recreated for us. It's as if we like the idea of eternity and living on, but not so much physically living on. We like the idea of there being a place called heaven where our souls go. We don't really give it much thought. We just like to think that it is, well, a better place. And so we don't spend much time thinking about the age to come. Maybe perhaps at someone's funeral we'll meditate upon the shortness of life or at in the hospital as someone is clinging to life, perhaps then we might meditate upon shortness of life and what's to come. But most of the time, as I mentioned last week, we suppress our own mortality. We We tell ourselves things like, well, when I die, at least I'll be in a better place. And most likely when I'm in that better place, I won't be toting around this physical body. And so if you don't get all that excited about living forever in a physical body, then Paul's words this morning may help you uh, change your mind. Our problem is that we do not understand properly the future that God has in store for us. Specifically, what God has done for those whom he has redeemed to himself. The culture in Corinth was steeped in Greek philosophical beliefs and thought. For the Greek, the physical world, and with it our human bodies, the physical world um, was seen as corrupt and, and inferior. The spiritual realm is good and desirable. The physical realm represents all that is debased, full of lusts and passions. And for the Greek then, the desire was to escape the physical realm and enter into the heavenly or spiritual realm. That was the ultimate goal or telos. So, It wasn't so much that these Corinthians didn't believe in life after death. They just wholeheartedly denied uh, that eternal life would be a physical existence, soul and body. I guess word got to Paul in the form of a letter, this among many other things that were wrong in Corinth. Some of you are studying 1 Corinthians. There's a lot of crazy things going on there that Paul needs to address, right? Um, and so Paul responds to their denial in, in here in chapter 15. And, and in the, last week we studied uh, how Paul argued that if there is no resurrection, then Christianity is a sham and all, all the people in the earth, Christians alike, are still in their sins. In the second half of chapter 15, Paul helps them and us to see that God's final victory over evil will be to give eternal life, soul, and body to his people. And knowing this is meant to change how we live in the present. We're going to investigate this uh, in three areas. First, we're going to look at the how, then the what, then the why. The how, the what, and the why. First, the how. There's a question that Paul raises in verse 35. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? You ever had such a question? Now, the question doesn't seek to understand the power behind being raised. The question evokes the Corinthian skepticism. How on earth is this even possible? That's what they're thinking, and that's what Paul is addressing. And so Paul gives them two analogies. Uh, The first analogy is in verse 36 through 38. Look at there, where it says, what you sow, this is a farming analogy, so what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. So here's the analogy. Paul Paul is saying seeds are to plants as dead bodies are to resurrected bodies. Do you follow his logic there? And he's making two points here. First, he's saying death must take place. Verse 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. You can't just take last year's corn stalks lying in the field and replant them and expect corn. You need to take the dead seeds and plant those. God has a miraculous cycle, does he not? Seeds, seeds are are dead, dead seeds are sowed and then out of that comes new life. And something quite different from the seed itself, right? Jesus taught about this in John chapter 12. He said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Then he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Of course that's Christ's death, right? His his death, his being buried in the tomb, uh, a dead man for our sins, has borne much fruit. So a death must take place. The second point is... Resurrected bodies will be amazingly different from our present bodies. Our current bodies are kind of like uh, this acorn. I don't know about you guys. I got a lot of oak trees in my yard. These acorns are everywhere. Uh, you look at this acorn. There's really not much to it. You know, it's kind of brown and it's round and it's hard. You know, I guess you could eat it, but um, when my dog eats them, he gets sick. So maybe not. But anyway, if you knew nothing about trees, and certainly beautiful, fabulous oak trees, and I just showed you this acorn and asked you to surmise its potential, you would think, ah, probably not much, right? But when it is planted in the ground or when it just lands there and gets stepped upon and, uh, and it just starts growing, Um, Something amazing comes out of it. Something that's similar acornish, it will produce acorns, but it's a tree. When you plant an acorn, you don't get more acorns, you get a tree that produces acorns. We see in verse 38, but God gives it a body as he has chosen to each kind of seed its own body. And so the point is, just as God gives the kernel of grain or the acorn as he has chosen a new body, so too the believer's resurrected body will be given by God and it will be something similar but different. So Paul's point so far, he's saying that we cannot enter our resurrected life without death. It must come, we must die. There is one caveat where he says, you know, Further down, where he says, well, in verse 51, we shall not all sleep, you know, die, die," but we shall all be changed. There will be some people that will be alive when Christ returns. But for most everyone, and probably me, unless Christ returns, uh, we're going into the grave. We're going to die. Um, Death is vital, though, to this new life. I hope you see it that way. Unless you die, you cannot experience this resurrected life to come. I know we fear death, and I know it's an evil uh, that came about by the fall, and it's 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 so contrary to God's designs for for human beings. But it is present now. Um, but what God is going to do is going to take our dead bodies, and and like seeds, they will be raised up into something phenomenal, and probably not an oak tree. So death is vital to life; it's the inevitable gateway to the immortal life. Our earthly body will be sown like a seed. The second analogy is in verse 39 through 41. Here we read, here Paul shows us that there is a variety of glory within creation. So how could not God also create something glorious because he's the God of glory in creation? For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. Um, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory for the sun, another glory for the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So, um, what the analogy is, just as creatures on earth differ in their relative glory, and just as the sun, which is a star, uh, and moons and other stars differ in their glory, some are brighter than others, so too our resurrected bodies will differ by being more glorious than our present bodies paul is saying just look at how good god is at creating glory in his creation and so if god can create an amazing glory at a whim with just a word certainly the body he will resurrect you into will be one of his greatest glories of all so how does this help us this morning You know, on the one hand, I think that there's a skepticism that denies the resurrection of the dead because it is so different from anything that we presently see or experience in this fallen creation. All we have ever seen are seeds. Paul's point, but look to these seeds and look to plants and see how God could do this. That's how. And another point of application is is if we find it hard to imagine God can raise up new amazing resurrected bodies we haven't been looking sufficiently at his glory manifested in his present creation that we live in currently Paul's point is that because there already is variety of glory in creation we must believe that God can make our bodies more glorious so that's the how Our dead bodies are like seeds in the soil. God will raise his children in glory. Now for the what. What will these bodies be like? There's another question that he asks in verse 45. With what kind of body do they come? What kind of bodies will believers receive in the age to come? Paul tells us that they will be bodies like the resurrected Jesus's body. Look at verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, that is, of course, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sorry, uh, I don't have the LCD projector, Um, it wouldn't help, I really don't have any pictures of Jesus uh, resurrected in his resurrected body. I know we like to see pictures and stuff, we're kind of used to that, Uh, but we can perhaps form a picture from the words we have in scripture. Prior to going to the cross, Jesus took three of his disciples high up onto a mountain. He wanted to encourage them. He wanted to let them see what his, what his body to come was going to be like so they could find courage and strength and hope to live in the difficult present um, and, and to fulfill their calling that Jesus was going to call them to. You can read it in Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8. It's kind of an interesting story. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as, as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is it's good for us to be here. If you wish, uh, I, will put these, I will put up three shelters one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. A voice from the cloud said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. So much to the shelters. Uh, but Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Jesus displayed to them his future, risen, resurrected, glorious body. He did that to these three disciples. And um, he wanted to give them a glimpse of what God was going to do one day. And Peter is like mesmerized, right? He could just sit there and stare at Jesus for days. So he's like, let's pitch some tents, right? Let's, you know, get some weenies, we can roast them. We'll hang out for a while. On other occasions, after his death and resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples. He fished with them. He allowed them to touch him. Jesus now has a physical body. And yet his body is capable of things that ours aren't capable of, at least not yet. Jesus was somehow able to enter into rooms that were locked shut. He was able to come and go without being seen. Jesus had a natural body that died, and he was raised a supernatural body and understand this now he continues to exist put this in your brain try to fathom this he continues to exist forever and ever in his resurrected body what does that say to the greeks oh the body's good god's design his intention was for body and soul to come together into this beautiful life to reflect god's glory The reason why the body has become so bad in the Greek's mind is because of the fall, not because of the body. Mankind takes all kinds of good things that God has given us and we pervert them. We take things like sex and alcohol and money, right? (laughs) But the picture we need to see is that Jesus is resurrected in a physical body. We need to understand that God has determined not to just send his son into a physical body for 33 years. And then die and rise again as a spirit. It's amazing. God has decided to remain in a body for all eternity. Christ exists in physical form. Now, I know that trying to imagine those bodies to come can be quite difficult. But Paul does give us some information to go on. So back to the question. With what kind of body do they they come to life in? Beginning in verse 42, look at that. He gives us four radical contrasts or changes that will occur. The first contrast is the perishable versus the imperishable. Verse 42. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Perishable means destructible. Other translations use the word corruptible. Paul is saying that, that our bodies are... That in our bodies are seeds of disease and death. <laughs> I'm living proof of that, right? You know, I came down with some stomach bug last night. It was horrible, right? I am perishable. <laughs> um, I'm corruptible. But he says the new body will be imperishable or incorruptible. Our resurrected body shall be raised indestructible. The body that you will have if you are in Christ will be one that can never decay or die. We will enjoy in an indestructible existence. The second contrast is between dishonor and glory. Verse 43. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. The word sow here is figurative language for what? For for burial, right? One of my favorite authors, Anthony Hokema, he asked this question. He says, what could be more dishonorable to a body Than lowering it into a grave. What was made for eternal life lays lifeless. That's the dishonor, but there's a glory to come. Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Check this out, verse 21 who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. C.S. Lewis makes the point, and I'm just paraphrasing, but he says that if you were to meet your neighbor that you know, uh, he's a Christian, he's kind of, you know, maybe not the best Christian, right? Uh, But if you were to see see this person as in their transfigured heavenly body, You would be tempted to worship him. Contrast three weakness um, against power. Verse 43. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. Now, last Tuesday, uh, my wife and I, we both finished our our days, um, long days, around 11 p.m. And I'm lying in bed and I'm thinking, we've accomplished a lot, but I'm like so tired. (laughs) My body is weak. I have no more power. Thankfully, it was after bedtime. So you see, no matter how fit we are, all humanity is weak. Our bodies become tired and weak. We long for rest. We cry out for strength. But in the age to come, we will be perfectly powerful. There will be nothing that you desire to do that you will not have the power to accomplish. By the way, heaven won't be boring. (laughs) The fourth contrast, natural versus spiritual. Look at verse 44. It is sown a natural body, is raised a spiritual body. Now, we, some explanation needs to be done here because some people mistake a sp- physical body, excuse me, a spiritual body for a non-physical resurrection, right? But that's like an oxymoron, right? If, if, if what Paul is saying is you sow a seed of physical uh, life and then you're raised to a, just a spirit only, verse 44 would have read like this. It has sown a natural body, it has raised a spirit. <laughs> but Paul doesn't say that. He says it has raised a spiritual body. Now, the word translated natural, um, in the Greek it's psychikos. It, it doesn't mean physical. Greek speakers in Paul's day, um, this word psyche, it means the soul, not the body. There are other words for body, words like soma. The Greek words ending with the uh, ECOS, describe not the material by which something is made, but the, but the power or the energy that animates it, right? N.T. Wright helps us understand this if you're a little, like, like clueless. Uh, and maybe not, I'm not helping much. Maybe he will. Um, N.T. Wright says this, what we see here isn't whether a ship is made of wood or iron. Rather, the question to be asked is whether it is a steamship or a sailing ship. Or a canoe in one of those big, glorious regatta yachts, you know, with the big, big sails, one of those tall ships, right? Our lives are, we're kind of like we're uh, in our natural body. We're like canoes, you know, it's like a lot of human effort. We don't get very far, right? Um, but this body to come, this spiritual body, will be like a sailing ship. And so, Paul, in talking about the present body, which is animated, he's saying the present body is animated by our fallen human psyche. And the future body will be animated by the Holy Spirit. It will be God's Spirit animating our bodies. And so the spiritual body of the resurrection is going to be one which is uh, totally, not partially, dominated and directed by the Holy Spirit. We will be the people that we long to truly be. But our current bodies are holding us back. So, for now, we're housed in weak bodies, animated by fallen human psyche. And how did this happen? Paul wants to remind us in verse 47 to 49, it all comes through Adam, poor Adam. Um, Paul contrasts the first Adam with what he calls the um, the second man, Christ. Adam was a man of the dust, and so too are all of us. were, We're born of the dust, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We will go back to the dust. We are all of the dust. But the second man is from heaven, and if you are in Christ, you now are, are part of those who are from heaven. You have a new identity. Now check out verse 49. Just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, so we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Our bodies presently are rooted in Adam and his fallen earthly image. But our bodies to come are going to be after the image of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of the disciple John comes from First John, John chapter 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, when the trumpet sounds, we shall be like him. Amazing promise. So what kind of body will you receive at the resurrection of the dead? A body just like our Lord's, imperishable, glorious, powerful, and spiritual. Do you not long for that? So that's the how and the what. Now for the why. We see the why in verses 50 through 57. And there's actually like three whys. I'm going to go through them really fast. Um, Why must God give us a whole new body? Well, the first why is, is that your current body is not fit to go where God's taking you. I have a good friend of mine, I haven't seen him in a while, but Brent Hayek, and he was a, he's a crazy guy. We, used to, we almost died together a few times. Um, and, uh, and so, he, real adventurer kind of guy, and he's a doctor, and so he did his medical missions trip to Ecuador. And while he's there, he's like, I'm reading this pamphlet, and it says, I can climb these giant Ecuadorian mountains. They're like tall ones, they're like 21,000 feet. So he's like, I'm going to do it. The problem was, all he had to climb 21,000 feet, imagine wind blowing cold and snow and just ice and frigid temperatures. All he had was a pair of jeans and a borrowed coat. He almost died. Barely made it down alive. Brent's body was not fit for 21,000 feet. <laughs> Our bodies, as they are right now, are not prepared for heaven. Does that make sense? They're not ready. You couldn't go there. You couldn't enjoy it. You couldn't get in. Which points us to God's grace. He's the only one who can make you fit for heaven. And he does. Verse 50. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And then in verse 53, we see how utterly important this is. For the perishable bo- <laughs> help me out there, for the perishable body must put on the imperishable must there's no other option, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Paul is saying, we humans as we are now we 're frail we 're perishable creatures, and therefore we 're unfit in our current estate uh, for a place in god 's glorious kingdom to come. our current bodies are unfit for the full blessing that we would receive. And therefore, they must be changed. This mortal body must put on immortality. And thankfully, God through Christ has promised that he will change us. Why number two? The other is, you know, we cannot even fully know God as we should in our current existence. (laughs) We are perishable and mortal. That's what Paul keeps saying in verses 50 to 54. Though in Christ we are redeemed, right? We're now children of God. Isn't it true, though, that every day, if you're honest with yourself, you fail to know God well, and, and nor, nor honor him beautifully with, our, with your lives? Maybe I'm just confessing my own failures. Though we have the Spirit of God and the Word of God, in our fallen state we are incapable of knowing God as we will one day in the age to come. So Paul says the mortal must put on immortality. And God wants us to know him fully. Ezekiel 37, God tells his people why he will resurrect him. It's so that they can know him. Listen, 37, 13. You shall know that I am Yahweh. When I open up your grave and raise you from your grave, O my people. You know, the prophets of old, including Ezekiel, <laughs> continually rebuke the people for their stubbornness, their cold-heartedness, their self-centeredness. Israel often doubted God, and Israel often loved God's blessings more than God himself. And we, too, can be like this, too, can't we? We don't know God as we should. We don't honor him as we should. We're often thankless and then ask him for more blessing. We doubt God. We don't trust him. We don't even get all that excited when we hear about what's to come, this resurrection with the glorious, powerful, spiritual bodies. That just doesn't seem to get us all that excited. It's a sign that we do not know God as we should. We'd rather think about finally going on that trip to Disney World or Paris than to meditate upon what God has in store for his people when eternity finally kicks in. And God says, you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God, when I open up your grave and raise you from your grave, O my people. Oh, that we would long for such intimate knowledge of our God. And oh, that we would see how utterly necessary that last trumpet sound is. For the trumpet will sound, says Paul, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. My friends, we need these new spiritual bodies so that we can fully know God. And God in His grace will make sure that we do. The last why. Why does God raise us from the dead? This might be hard for some of you, but it's for His glory. sounds wrong that God would be zealous for His glory because if, so- if humans seek their own glory above anything else, they prove themselves to be what? Arrogant and prideful. But it's different with God. God is the source of all goodness that flows into this creation. He is worthy of glory. If God were not to recognize and promote his own glory. Then he would be a suppressor of the truth. If not perhaps even a liar. And of course God can't do that. So thankfully God will resurrect us for his glory. See, understand this. If if God does not have a physical resurrection and fix all that is wrong with our broken world and fix everything that Adam did wrong, guess what? The enemy wins. The enemy gets the victory, not God. God goes to plan B. But God's plan was to make, make people in his image, male and female, to reflect his glory. God blew, blew uh, by his spirit, he blew life into the dust of Adam Uh, God's desire is that we would be physical, spiritual beings forever and ever. And so, if God doesn't do this, then the enemy wins. But God does not scrap his plan. He has in store an even greater glory than the original creation made. And by virtue of our faith in Christ, we get to participate in that victory to come. Verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So how are we going to respond today? You know, Paul's application is only one sentence, so it won't last long. Um, here it is, verse 58. Here's our application. Look at it. Therefore, in light of all this, not just our passage, but the, from chapter 15, verse 1 and on. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. When we know what's coming, it causes us to be people who, who, who put up with the already-not-yet, with the failings of this world. It allows us to be strong and courageous and with the threat of all kinds of things. It allows us to, to press on, not for our own agendas, but for the work of the Lord. That's a good thing. Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord... Your labor is not in vain. In this broken world in which we live in right now, we put, we put, you know, a hundred percent of effort into something. We start a business. We, you know, uh, we we start a family. We all kinds of different things. We, we uh, try to renovate whatever. We put hundred percent energy and we try to close some deals, uh, but we only get out usually like forty percent return for our investment. Right, this world that we live in. You toil and you struggle and your labor is often in vain but Paul gives us this promise that when our work is for the Lord and for his kingdom it's not in vain Paul knows what we know so well we live in the in-between times in the already not yet Christ has come his resurrection is the first fruits that guarantees our own bodily resurrection and Christ will come and when he does our resurrection will take place Until then, our bodies fail us, our minds fail us. Though forgiven in Christ, we continue to amaze ourselves at how callous we can be towards God or towards people made in God's image. So Paul encourages us this morning. Knowing what you know about the age to come, the day to come, and the resurrection to come, be steadfast. Hold to this truth. Don't be moved by paralysis or too paralysis and doubts by the difficulties of life. In fact, find strength to serve Christ in the present. For what we do today for God's glory is not in vain. Let's pray. Father, I don't think there's a single person in this room, whether they're a Christian or not, who does not long for death and disease and sorrow and shame to be gone from this world forever. We confess as Christians that we cannot do that. Only you can. And in Christ you have. And that you haven't given up on this world and people made in your image. That you will resurrect us. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the prototype that we are to become. May this image, may this truth change us today. May, may, we, may we be ones who serve the Lord with great desire and steadfastness because of the hope that we have in Christ. Amen.